Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 126. Thank you for joining us. Today, Colby's chief academic officer, Megan Lengel, makes a return to the Colby Cast, this time with her husband, Craig. With his background in cybersecurity, Craig leads our discussion of how we can teach our children to wisely use technology and keep them safe from the dangers that exist online. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, liturgical musician, popcorn and podcast fanatic, and Colby homeschooling mom to four lads and lasses of middle and high school age. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Good morning, Stephen. How's the day treating you so far? Morning, Bonnie. It's going well. Had my coffee already, so this is it's a good start to the day. How about you? It's going all right. I have finished my coffee, sad to say. No more of that for me, but I have some tea this morning, so uh, we'll see what happens on the trajectory of the day with the extra caffeine. So <laughs> Today we'll be discussing a topic that comes up often in the Colby Facebook groups and is likely top of mind for many parents whose children make use of the internet for school and other purposes, and that'd be the issue of keeping students safe online and helping them grow in digital citizenship. For this conversation, we're happy to welcome back Colby's Chief Academic Officer, Mrs. Megan Lengel, and her husband, Mr. Craig Lengel. Greetings and welcome. Thanks, Bonnie. It's good to be here. Thanks, Bonnie. So glad to have you guys back and, and to meet you, Craig, and visit with you today. In episode 69, Temperature Check, Megan told us her Colby story and a bit about the Lengel family. So we'll have a link to that in the show notes for those who missed it. Megan, what's new with you guys? Well, we're starting uh, 10th grade and eighth grade in the Colby homeschool adventure. Um, I think probably the the biggest adjustment uh, this year is that they had a nice long summer break that they weren't, usually summer break was somewhere around eight or nine weeks. And I think we got almost a full 12 weeks this year between the end of online classes. And my kids are usually fairly motivated to get their exams done quickly in exam week. And so they, they usually starting their summer break by the Wednesday of that week. So I think it was a little bit more of a uh, shock to get back into the swing of things um, more so than last year. So, so yeah, but it's, it's going well. Um, you know, as usual, I have them taking too many classes and <laughs> always trying to adjust a little bit as we, as we go, but um, they're really enjoying their classes, both boys. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's just been a great experience overall. I, I'm sure Craig has thoughts on that as well. Yeah, they're 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 doing well. Yeah, they they seem to be enjoying classes a lot this year. I think the workload is a little bit harder on Colin in tenth grade than it was in ninth grade. So he's uh, maybe a little bit oversubscribed at the moment, but um, so far he's keeping up. It's hard though. There's so much good stuff. It's hard to choose. So they want to have as much of it. That's as, the as problem. There's so many good things. How yes. do you choose which exactly. things to do? That, I, yes, I feel this myself. Yes. How's the school you're going for the online academy? Yeah, um, our enrollment continues to stay stay strong um, after the whole COVID bump that we had. Um, so that's really exciting. So we just never know, like, is that just like a false little bump? But we continue to be over 800 students in the 6 through 12 and around 250 for the K to, K to 5 online. Wow. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, we hired about 15 new teachers. For between K to 12, uh, which is 
thankfully down a little bit from last year. Last year we hired, I think we had 22 in our new teacher class. So, cause we just experienced so much growth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was quite overwhelming. Um, but still a good number that we needed to hire this year. Um, our middle school really just continues to burst. Um, the seventh grade class in particular is huge. So um, I, I don't know why it's, it's, I think it's birth years. So, okay. That's interesting. Why that one I, I, I just kind of like every other year, it's kind of like ebbs and flows and you can kind of back it up to how the economy was doing that birth year or something. So yeah, all in all doing really well and um, already planning next year. Well, as we have heard several times before, the Colby working environment has a distinct and lovely family atmosphere about it. Megan's husband, Craig, can speak to that as one who's been in the family for a while now. Craig, would you tell us a bit about yourself and your background? Yeah, sure. So I'm, I'm originally from uh, the Northeast U.S., grew up in Massachusetts, uh, was a public school kid, um, really more of a, so, so I was not born and raised Catholic, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, that's something that I, I came to later in life. So I was raised more non-denominational and then, you know, really, really more secular, I would say at, at the time. Um, so as a public school kid, you know, I was, I was definitely of that background of, you know, Hey, science, engineering, focus on career, you know, that was really the, the goal of education for me. Um, and, and as I've, you know, obviously grown, uh, with my own kids and in, in the Colby family, I think the thing that struck me in what, you know, we're building here is creating an environment where kids, I think a lot of times, you know, homeschool families have this, uh, burden of, of. Oh, I've just got to be, I got to be worried about the socialization, right? That that's, that's what they worry about. And, and I think it's actually um, the way we're doing it is that we're creating it where it's an asset, right? Where you get to choose when and how your kids are, are socialized and exposed to the world. And you get to do it in ways that allow them to be unencumbered by it in their educational experience. Right. And I think, that's what struck me as I got to to know Colby students is that the love of learning is not uh, burdened by social pressures. And, you know, as it relates to the topic we're going to talk about today, I think, you know, there's, there's this ability to just kind of um, have a lot more control over, over the environment, right. Which is, is critical in today's day and age. So. That's definitely true. And such an interesting perspective. Yeah. You've, you had an opportunity to meet Colby students in the wild, as it were. There's several of them in your area and meet them at graduation too. What's that been like? Yeah, like, like I said, I think that's that's been the most impressive part is that um, I just see kids that are genuinely happy, right? And they're, they're, they're thrilled about life and about learning and they're not worried about, you know, the latest fashion trends and the latest, you know, uh, gossip. And, and I was, I was explaining this situation to Megan the other day where I was at the neighborhood pool, right. And there were some middle school kids there having a, having a birthday party and, uh, just culturally very, very different from the way, you know, we've, we've chosen to raise our kids. And, you know, it's, it's, I just think there's a, a tremendous positive learning environment and, I just see that. I see that the the kids really appreciate the love of learning and they're less um, concerned about the worldly issues, which is the way it should be. Yeah. Well, back in the pre-Colby cast era, Craig spoke to Colby parents about matters of internet safety. 
So we're really glad and grateful to get him on the podcast to share that expertise with our listeners. As one who has spent time researching how to keep kids safe online, as well as a lot of time fretting about the inadequacy of my efforts, <laughs> I'm curious to hear how you've approached this area of parenting and how your background has informed the decisions you've made. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, for, first and foremost, for those that, that, that may not know, so my professional uh, career has been uh, a cybersecurity uh, specialist uh, for some of the, the, you know, sort of the world's largest tech companies. Um, now, obviously, there's a little bit of a difference between providing cybersecurity software and services to large Fortune 500 companies and, you know, just your run of the mill, you know, everyday Internet user. But the, the similarities, you know, are there. Um, so in, in my day to day job, you know, when you think about cybersecurity, there's really sort of three things that I do on a daily basis or that the software that I provide companies helps them do. Um, there's really the prevention side of, of cybersecurity, which is. Uh, back in the old days, it was it was building firewalls and building uh, VPNs and, and doing things to keep the bad guys out, right? So that sort of building up of defenses. Um, but people still get in, right? We know that there's always uh, ransomware attacks and phishing attacks, et cetera. So people get in. And once they get in, um, there's the de detection side of things, right? How do you detect what's going on? How do you get alerted? How do you know what's what's bad? Um, and then there's the response side. So prevention, detection, and response. In my career, I've historically focused uh, really on the detection side of things, uh, providing software to help companies respond to threats. And, and you know, if you, if you can't see it and you can't measure it, then you don't know what to do, right? So that detection piece is, is very, uh, very big. Um, you know, in the world of, of home internet users, I think the, the good news is that, you know, the Lengel family sitting at home is not really a target for cyber criminals, right? There's, there's not a lot of crown jewels, if you will, living on our home network that, <laughs> uh, you know, China or Russia or a state sponsored or, or even an independent hacker would, would have any interest in, right? Okay. So that's the good news. The good news is generally as, as a household, most of us are safe from those types of, uh, of, of attacks. Um, so, so for us, really, the, 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 it comes down to really two, two key things from a home internet uh, safety perspective. Prevention is still a big one, right? And that, that is, is technology. It's using tools that you have that are, some are natively built, built into the systems that you operate, your laptops, uh, your home networks, uh, to create a, a safe um, you know, network connection where you're trying to filter out some of the bad, right? Um, and then there is, there is an element of... Um, education, right? And how do you talk to your children about what is appropriate and what isn't uh, in an online sort of forum, right? And so a lot of it is just as adults, we need to be more open to those conversations and education and training is still a big deal in the corporate world, right? How to recognize an email that has malicious attempt, attempt right? How to recognize uh, content that isn't being filtered, and maybe it's something you shouldn't click on, right, in a browser. So uh, technology and 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 uh, education are all parts of that prevention story. And really, I think prevention is the most important pillar when you're talking about internet safety at home, uh, as well as on the go on your mobile device. That sets us up nicely to, to address some practical advice for keeping students safe online. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think this is an interesting thing because, um, you know, in the corporate world, we have this concept that's kind of emerged in the last 10 or so years 
uh, of something that we call in the business zero trust, right? And if you think of the old days of before the internet was really, you know, uh, proliferated, you had most of a company's sort of trade secrets and things were were locked in their on-premise networks, right? So you had a bunch of people that had to physically go to an office, connect to a machine, and that was networked with other machines there. And then as the internet started to grow, you had people that would be remote, you know, usually it was a one-off thing, right? It wasn't, not everybody was remote. It was, it was more rare than, uh, than it was normal, right? And so you created these things called VPNs, virtual private networks, and those were sort of tunnels into that corporate network. And um, uh, that sort of continues to this day. But what's, what's, what's changed is this concept of trust. And in, in that old model, once somebody established that they were who they were with their credentials, they had effectively unlimited access to that corporate network. And so what that did is it, it, it made the, and this is still true today, the weakest link in that chain is the individual, right? The weakest link in any sort of cyber attack or safety issue is the individual themselves, right? What do they choose to click on? How's their activity on the internet? And so in the corporate world, to combat that issue, we've developed this model of what we call zero trust, where it used to be trust but verify, and now we've matured from that, and now it's, I don't trust anybody. And as parents, I hate to say it, but we kind of have to adopt that mentality of zero trust. And not that we don't trust our children, we just don't trust the, the, the platforms themselves. We don't trust this model of unfettered access to the big open internet. We just can't, we can't adopt a model of here, have a phone, have a computer and connect it to the internet and you're good, right? That, that doesn't work. So we have to adopt a model of, of zero trust and there's, there's ways to do that. I think I mentioned education is one. So one of the things that, that we like to do, and I'm, by the way, I'm, I'm an assistant scout master for my boys, uh, boy scout troop. And I got put in charge of uh, every year we, we make the boys go through uh, a cyber awareness program. And there's an educational process, training videos. They've got to learn, you know, what, what is appropriate behavior on social media? What isn't, you know, some of the basics. But as part of that process, the education comes home to the parent. And there is a device policy that we make our scout sign with their parent of what is acceptable use of, of technology and what are the you know, sort of penalties or, or what are the, you know, if they violate that, what, what happens, right? And so there, we establish rules and it's, again, it's up to every parent how comfortable they are with their, their kid. But this idea of zero trust is that, you know, this is very um, advanced, you know, sort of access to information. And it's something that we need to gradually expose our children to, and not just, you know, when they turn, you know, 13 or whatever that number is, just hand over the keys to the kingdom, right? So it's a graduated approach from a from an educational perspective. Um, and then there's great technology, right? And I know that there's almost too many options to, to lay them out in really good detail, but I will start with a few basics that I think most parents can, can, can appreciate. Um, the first thing is sort of content filtering in your home network. And there's several ways to do this. If you have a, a major you know, internet provider like a, a Comcast Xfinity or, you know, a, a Charter Communications or an AT&T, 
most of those companies have devices now that they they will rent to you uh, in for, in the form of a router, some type of device. And I would say the majority of these companies have have built in parental controls. And so the first place to start is with your internet internet service provider, right? Call them up, get an understanding of what parental controls they have. And there's usually very good tutorials, uh, videos to watch. Here are the options. Here's the content that you can filter out. And that's sort of like step number one, right? But if you don't have that option, or if you want something more sophisticated, there are a lot more um, third-party paid solutions that uh, that other people use. And in fact, we use one of them here at the Lengel household. So the, the two that are, are probably the most popular uh, is a, a product called Circle. Um, it's actually a Disney product, which again, I know could be problematic for some folks if they don't want to give, uh, give their money to that company. I completely understand. Um, but Circle has worked really well for us. And what Circle does is it's, it's effectively what we call a, um, uh, a DNS filter, right? So they, they use uh, DNS as a domain name service. It's basically a big uh, dictionary in the internet that tells when you type in a URL, it tells uh, the browser where to go to find that information. And the DNS is a great you know, stopgap because it, it'll block things like uh, uh, explicit content. It'll block uh, specific types of sites, right? So it'll block social media. You can actually go in and say, I'm going to block everything and only allow access to these five sites. So you have a lot of flexibility in how you control uh, access to content. The other thing that it does is it's great for time limits, right? So if you want to limit the amount of time that your child is spending on a particular site or on a particular device, uh, you have the ability to do that with Disney Circle. So that's been a that's been a great uh, great product in our house. Um, Megan, do you have anything you want to add in terms of how you've used Circle or uh, pros? Yeah, and in, in fact, I've got um, our thirteen year old sitting over here, and I noticed he's on chat, and I was like, hmm, like why why hasn't that timed out? I thought I set set that as a thirty minute limit, and I just went into the Circle app and realized it was turned off. Another thing I really like it for is um, because our TV is a smart TV, we actually have it linked into the circle app and I can put time limits on that. I can also have it so that it does not turn on at all after school. So like, you know, you're not paying attention. All of a sudden the kids are in the room with it quiet, you know, and they're watching TV and you're like, Hey, how long have you been in here? I knew it was quiet. I knew something was happening. Um, but now I can rely on this. I actually have it set up so that the TV won't even connect um, after school, you know, or during school hours too for us. So it that's been really, really beneficial. And it's just kind of helped, you know, at, you know, our house, you know, we've got a basement and Craig works upstairs and then the middle floor is the kitchen. So like if I'm on a different level of the house and somebody's got a device that isn't on the same level as me, like I want to make sure at the very least something is filtering or, you know, keeping things from getting out of control because I can't, I can't physically look at their screens all the time. Um, and it also helps with just in general, the, the amount of activity that they're doing on a screen. Um, and it's challenging with being in an online school and my kids have a lot of classes, like a lot of their work, they need to be on the computer. There's plenty of work that doesn't need to be on the computer too. So um, you know, just having that regulated a little bit, it has been really helpful for us. So I like it. I actually upgraded to, it's like an extra five bucks a month so I could have some of the more advanced 
features. And there's like things on there I don't use, like, you know, rewards and stuff like that. Um, I've just never been really good at using those with my kids. But the actual, the time limits and the off time has been the thing that's the most useful for me as a mom. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so that's, that, that's done really well for us from a, from a home network perspective. I think, you know, again, I don't, I don't want to uh, use technology as the, the silver bullet, right? The education is just as big uh, of a component here, right? Because your children will travel to relatives' houses, friends' houses that have internet connections that do not have these protections on them. And while you remove those temptations and, and things at home, you've also got to instill uh, the teaching side of it, right. And the education side of it so that when they are exposed to an unfiltered internet, there's, there's sort of this just built in motion of here's what I'm, I'm doing on my computer and I know how to be safe. Right. Um, in terms of mobile devices, this is where things get a little bit harder to control. Right. And actually the beauty of Colby again, is that they're not at a, at a brick and mortar school where everybody has a phone and they're, you know, there's this social pressure to get a, a phone and be on Facebook and, uh, Instagram and all these things. So that's, that's a good thing. But some of you are obviously going to need your kids to have phones. We need to be able to get in touch with them when they get older, start going to sporting events and, and, and driving their own car and things like that. Um, so you gotta, you gotta consider, you know, mobile safety as well. And it's, it's a whole nother world. What I've, what I've seen be successful. There's a couple of things, right. Uh, with the providers again, themselves. So the, the AT&T's, Verizon's, T-Mobile's, uh, they all have, parental controls. And if you don't see that in your online configuration, call them up, call up their customer service, say, I want to enable safe search. I want to enable filtering on all my devices, right? And they will do that for you. So that way, you know that that connection that's coming over your, your carrier's cellular is, is secured. Um, and then there's also, again, sort of third-party paid apps that you can get. So, well, actually, I'll start with the free one first. Any of those... Uh, there's controls built in to natively to the device operating system. So for those of you that have Apple devices, there is a parental control option where you can be the family leader and you can control access to the app store. You can control access to content on that device. Uh, Android has something similar. It's called Google Family Link. Uh, family Link is a great, a great way to supervise uh, another family member's device and you can turn on and off access to applications. You can set time limits. So if there's a you know game that they want to play, you can set a time limit. Um, so so Family Link is a great product as well. Um, but all again, these these things are all on the prevention side of security, right? This is all again trying to prevent uh, exposure to content that is undesirable. From the detection side of things, there's there's one product that I have not personally used, but I know others that have used it. Um, it's a product called Bark, and Bark is an app that you have the ability to, uh, you don't monitor your kids' texts and social media posts, but it, it will alert you if there is something uh, that it detects that could be problematic. And so these could be anything from uh, language, text in a, in a text message, uh, pictures, social media posts, all of that is something that Bark is, is able to detect and, and um, alert you on. And so that's a great tool. I, I think Bark is, is probably better for older students. So if you've got high schoolers that are uh, starting to get into social media and, and you're allowing them to have those apps, I think Bark is a great safety net 
so that you have an understanding of anything that that's bad that's coming um, through their social media channels or text messages. And again, accompany this with a, a great education session of here's how you use social media. Here's how you use your phone. And when you go off the rails, I'm going to know about it. So the child knows about it. I, I think that, you know, the goal from my perspective here is to not be draconian and not, you know, control every aspect of what they're doing. You have to allow them to grow with, with technology as they continue to, to, to mature, but it's, it's having those guardrails and safety nets so that, you know, there's, you're able to address issues um, before they, they turn into anything major. Right. And then the final app that I've heard people use uh, is something called life 360, which is really more GPS tracking. That's not something I personally uh, want to do, but I, I do know some people that have that particularly with, with kids that are driving and they want to uh, get an understanding of, you know, what their driving habits and speeds might look like and where their locations are at certain times. Um, again, that's, that's something that's out there that uh, I don't think I will use, but it's, it's something that I, I do know other folks have used. But like anything, again, it's education is, is still going to be your primary asset here. And technology is what you use to help you, um, you know, enforce and maintain the educational piece that you've already had with your child. In our household, we really have a lot of conversations about, you know, we're not, we're not necessarily a typical family, I guess, but we have a lot of conversations about virtue and building up those habits. So, you know, we're trying to prevent accidental discovery for our, our children, but even down to my eight-year-old, they're around the dinner table where we're, you know, for my 17 or 18 to eight years old, we're having that conversation about there's bad stuff out there that, that you don't want to see, that you don't want to be part of because, you know, it just the results, uh, what a cross that becomes if you, if you're seeing some of the stuff that's, that's bad on the internet. And then I, I have to explain to them as well, you know, we can put in protections, but they're going to be able to get around anything that I put up because I'm just not that level of tech savvy or even if I were, I've talked to, you know, some of my tech friends, they're like, no, when I was, when I was in high school, I could get around whatever my parents put up and it's like, yeah, they'll be able to. So we, we have things where we can monitor, but my children actually ask me for that. You know, will you do that? So I don't feel a temptation even because I know you're going to, you could look at it, see what I'm looking at if, if you want to, but ultimately, yeah, we have a lot of those conversations where it's like, no, this is, this is on you. You don't want to see these things and you have to really be responsible about, about this in order to protect yourselves and live the virtuous life. Like you want to want to do those have been good though, particularly with our boys, I guess, like when I had my son doing activities when he was kind of young and we didn't want to give him a, a, a phone or, or anything. So we got an Apple watch for him, which was kind of nice because he couldn't really see anything, but he could call if he needed to and, or uh, text kind of <laughs> if he needed to little things that we do. Yeah. It's kind of hilarious now in our house because um, our oldest is he's 16. Now he's driving. We, ha we struggle with him to, to actually take his phone with him. And I said, now that you're driving, please just take it in case you get a flat tire, whatever, like you just, you know, go ahead and do that. And, you know, his argument is always, I don't need it. What am I going to do with this phone? You know, cause I will say we did a very good job with delaying giving that phone and technology. So he's, he's very tempered about it. Eighth grade is when, when he got his phone. 
now we have uh, another eighth grader and we haven't yet given him a phone, but he's very anxious to get one. And he's the one that's almost more tech savvy than Craig. So, you know, we, we still have all, you know, we use circle and everything. Um, but, you know, we definitely have to do the education piece becomes even more important because, you know, he, he's very interested in computers and he wants to see what they can do, not in a malicious way, but just in a curiosity and like, you know, I can see him over here on the other side of the room working on Java for a coding club. So, you know, that's, it's neat to see that, um, just that his brain works that way. Um, you know, it's the only coding language I ever learned was Fortran, but I think Craig learned quite a few more and he could probably pick up a bunch of coding if he really wanted to. Well, it seems like the two aspects of the filtering software is to prevent those accidental discoveries when they're researching something for school or a curiosity for hobbies or whatever it is. And then that kind of keeps out the accidental hits on things that are harmful to them or um, inappropriate for them in some way or another. And But then the larger dimension being the, the education and formation around how to use this aspect of life that is so prevalent for all of us and will be, it's here to stay. So that's become a large area of what we need to address as as parents. And I think that probably tends more toward the whole digital citizenship, which I think we'll come back to and talk more deeply about here in a little bit. So I see how they they both work together. It's not, oh, we just installed the filters and have at it. It's it's both these together. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned the, um, you know, researching something for school, because that's actually something we're trying to get our arms around a little bit at Colby with different you know, it, it could be something as simple as a fourth grader, like picking a science topic to research more, right? Um, we really don't want the students just going out to, we call it the wild, wild west, the WWW, yeah. you know, just Googling, you know, Pluto, right? Because you just don't know what's going to come up. Um, but instead, advising our teachers to give a few websites that like, okay, you're going to research from these three websites. Um, and then kind of gradually getting our students to be able to do their own safe searches as, you know, so by the time they graduate, you know, they actually do know how to go into the wild, wild west and find legit websites that are actually going to give them legitimate information. Um, but it, it's a graduated process. It reminds me a bit of that conversation that Stephen and I had with the Lunds, Mr. and Mrs. Lund. Um, I'll put a link to that in our show notes. The, the episode number is not coming to me. I think it might be 92 or so, somewhere in there. Anyway, I'll put that in the notes. But them talking about um, protecting and guiding and empowering students for the the world in front of them, but but in this graduated incremental approach. One other thing I will suggest as a classical uh, institution that you take your child to the library to actually look up a book on whatever topic it is that they've been asked to research, because that's really the best way to do it. So isn't that amazing how quickly that sort of falls off the list of, okay, we got to research this, we'll just go online and do it. It's, <laughs> oh, yeah, we could look in a book. <laughs> I right. mean, it's super convenient. <laughs> I, as a working homeschooling mom, that's what I want to do, too. But mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you know, typing a word into a search bar is not a difficult skill. The more difficult skill is going to the library and actually learning um, how to look up a book. And the librarians there, you can ask them where to find it. They'll point you. It's not like you're going to spend hours and hours trying to find that one book on the shelf on insects, right? Like you just you go to the reference desk and they'll point you in the right direction. 
um, almost as quickly as a Google search. Yeah, they're good like that. We were working on English and composition the other day, and it was a lesson on using the dictionary, the printed dictionary, and then the online dictionary. So that ties right in, like we have got to get the book off the shelf and here's how to work our way around a dictionary. Yeah. I would love to get your thoughts on services like uh, maybe Covenant Eyes or other services like that and the weaknesses to be aware of regarding those, particularly in the areas of social media. And if you have any suggestions for how to address those or other apps or products to consider to, to cover those loopholes. Yeah, you know, I've, I've heard of Covenant Eyes. Um, I, I personally don't have any experience with it, but it's it's the similar type of, you know, technology that, that we've been discussing, right? It's, it's, a, it's a preventative uh, solution. So that's actually a secure browser um, that filters content based on known malicious and inappropriate, you know, adult sites and things of that nature. So Covenant Eyes is a great solution. Um, I think they have a desktop as well as a, a you know mobile app, but it, and I think again, it, if you're if you're using Covenant Eyes on a mobile device, the challenge is always going to be as as I think Stephen mentioned, how do you keep the kids from getting around those those solutions, right? How do you, how do you you have to you have to manage the device and block access to other browsers, right? Because what good is Covenant Eyes as a browser? If the device is unlocked and, you know, the kids can go and download Chrome or Safari or some other browser and just get around Covenant Eyes, right? So it is a multi-layered approach, unfortunately. And that's why I think it's so hard uh, for us parents, especially because it's hard for us to keep up on the technology. We know what we know. We know what we grew up with, but the technology is constantly, you know, evolving and, and maturing. And so some of that is just having to bite the bullet and stay on top of it. Right. And, and, um, but yeah, I, I covenant eyes is a great solution, but you're going to need a layered approach. You're going to need multiple, uh, prevention solutions. And then, you know, depending on your needs, you might need one of those, uh, solutions like bark that, that filter through social media that to my knowledge, bark is the only one that really touches social media. It'll, it'll go through Snapchat. It'll go through Instagram. It'll go through Facebook and it'll, you know, it, it's got some, I think it's some type of AI algorithms in it where it's, it's able to detect, you know, bullying, cyber bullying. It's able to detect things that are like, you know, suicidal type of, of, you know, content. It's, it's, it's very good at doing that. And that's the only one I'm aware of that, that does really well on the social media side. Um, course the other answer is just don't do it i gave up my facebook account because i didn't think it was healthy um i gave up instagram because i didn't think it was healthy and that's part of the education side of things right like we, we as a society we, we've gotten to this point i think with social media where some of us are just kind of walking away um because it it it's not as valuable as i think we were all led to believe and the other thing is part of the education is you've got to you've got to let your your kids know about you know what companies are doing with the data right and what that digital footprint actually means. You go out and you click on some things and your you, your behavior is tracked and it's permanent. Um, and that data is being sold to advertisers. That data is being sold multiple times. And these these social media sites. Um, harvest massive amounts of data, personal information about you. And we, you know, 
we just need to question whether that's what we want or not. Is the value that we're deriving from social media a greater benefit than the risks? And, you know, I personally decided it wasn't. And some people still still do. I mean, if you're able to use it responsibly and you just keep in touch with friends and family, it's very valuable. But um, that's an individual choice, right? I love thinking about kind of the variation because like within our own family, we have just a wide variety of people and how they interact with technology and how risk even they kind of are. And so that always makes me think of just all of the different systems, techniques that you kind of need to use. And uh, recently sent a, last year, sent a daughter off to college and looking at kind of some of the ways different colleges, Catholic colleges are handling devices. You know, like in our family, I don't want to just say, you don't get a phone. You, we don't use technology. We only block everything. I want my children to be able to responsibly use their devices and decide whether, you know, you know, social media is something that they can, that's actually a benefit for them, for example. So I'd really like them to learn how to be responsible and polite and, you know, not have their face in their phone all the time. So there's, there's that balance in our family, at least that I'm, I'm always trying to see if we can make them a responsible adult, like in the use of their devices. But I know there's, there are people out there who just say, no, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to do that at all. Or, um, yeah, I guess being part of online schools for the last 16, 17 years, technology is just a part of, part of my life. So it ends up being part of my kid's life to some, to, to a large extent. And we just want to be healthy about it. So. Yeah. I think that's a particular challenge with using an online school is like, for sure, your children need to have access to a device for a solid number of hours per day. And how do you create an environment that teaches them to start using it responsibly, responsibly and then kind of step up into, you know, giving them more and more responsibility? It's definitely a conundrum, I think, you know, because you don't want to go too far on this side, but it's so scary what's on the other side, you know? So, um, you know, veering on the side of caution is usually the best thing you can do as a parent and trying to put in those those stop gaps. Um, I did want to circle back to Covenant Eyes a little bit. One of the differences between, say, using Covenant Eyes and um, Circle is that I believe the way it works is that Covenant Eyes follows the device. So if you put it on a, um, a laptop or, or a mobile phone and then your child goes over to a friend's house to do school, um, it, it does follow that device. It's not dependent on the network. Um, we actually have a, we have an extra circle um, that we can take with us if we go to grandma's house because grandma's house isn't filtered, you know, because they don't need that. Um, yeah. But, you know, I like to still have it there. Um, I've taken the boys out with me for meetings in Napa and they go to grandma Mary's house and there's no reason she needs filtered internet. So I just plug it in and then I've got all the controls on the, on the app. Um, even when we're traveling. So, and that might be a little bit extreme, but if, if for me, it just makes me feel more comfortable um, with having them on, on their devices and on computers during the day. So. Well, let's talk a bit about how Colby is helping in the endeavor to keep kids safe online and, and to help form good digital citizens, good digital citizens. I still struggle with that expression <laughs> and, and help families work through this knowing that this is part of life and we very much need to use the technology available to us for this wonderful online school and to keep in touch with our Colby advisors and things like that. So um, let's talk about some of the ways that Colby is 
is very proactive in addressing these needs. We'll start with maybe the orientation course that every student has to go through. You want to tell us about that, Megan? Sure. Yeah. Um, so we do require our students to do an orientation course. I'm sure the returning students groan every year because they have to go through the same material. <laughs> they can just take the quizzes, though. It's okay. Um, but one of the modules, and then there's about, I think there's four or five modules, one on academic honesty, one on responsibility, um, technology, and then there's one on digital citizenship. And that one goes over, Craig mentioned um, your digital footprint. It has a whole segment in there on, you know, anything you say and you put online, it's there forever. Somebody takes a screenshot, even if you go and delete it, you don't know if somebody's captured that in some app or, or whatever. So um, we do try to bring that front and center right during orientation. And then throughout the school year, it's something we emphasize in our classes. You know, we do have chat boxes. Students have to learn to engage civilly with one another. Um, and, you know, Colby students love to debate, right? So especially in some of those literature and history classes, you know, it, they, they have to learn how to take their point of view, but respect others. And, and that's a really important skill. Beyond that, you know, our homeroom program has an emphasis on uh, digital citizenship kind of peppered throughout the year. And they get to practice when um, the, the teachers meet with students for their conferences. They're in a study hall. Um, and those are you know, still monitored by the teacher, but the teacher's talking to another student at that time. And so they have to learn how to be good digital citizens and to behave in the chat box and wait their turn and all that kind of thing. So there's definitely a lot of opportunities and formation that we give our students um, in that area. And then beyond that, whenever classes are in session, the tech team is there to answer questions in real time from students, right? So that's another way of helping kids navigate some if there is not a teacher in the classroom or if they have some other kind of tech issue or some, something like that coming up, that's another dimension of that. That's right. Yes. If, um, if there's no teacher in the classroom, uh, somebody should go to tech support and let them know. Usually we've already heard from the teacher, but sometimes not. It depends what happens. If power goes out and the internet goes out, sometimes the teacher has no way to tell anybody what's happening. Um, and then we always have somebody in live chat available that can jump into a classroom. And sometimes it takes a minute or two and then it's it's interesting to come into the room and see what what has happened in that last two or three minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and occasionally, especially with the younger children, it's always the younger children. They're so lovely. But occasionally we have to remind them about good digital citizenship when all of a sudden an adult is not present. Um, and of course, those are rare times, but it's, it's certainly uh, something that we address. I remember when I was teaching 12th graders, it's one of the things, especially those who are wanting to get onto social media, I would tell them, look, even though employers aren't necessarily supposed to look at your social media uh, channels and things, you're putting that out there to the public. They can do that. So all the stupid things you're doing now and or posting and those, like you, like you were saying, Craig, they're even, or and Megan as well, even if, even if you delete them later, they still can be out there or, or whatever. Or, yeah. So those are all good things to, to keep in mind. We are, the stupid things you might do when you're younger and no, think better of when you're older, just don't disappear when you get that. So it's better to not, not, not show the world how stupid you were when you were young. When we hire a new teacher, we definitely Google their name. So I mean, <laughs> you just, you never know what's going to come up. So. And then one other big piece of the, the Colby effort to, to help kids uh, stay safe online and also navigate their all their technology to accomplish 
their online school situation is the email routing to parents. Can you tell us about how that works for us? Yeah, so um, we issue students a, it's a Microsoft 365 account when they sign up with us. And um, part of that is having access to email if you're in sixth grade um, or above. Um, we do not give email access to our, uh, our elementary students. So, so the, the uh, domain for the students is mycolby.org. And, and within that system, they can only email um, their, the parent based on the parent email that's been submitted to us during the enrollment process. Um, they can email anybody with a colby.org email address, and they can email um, anybody with a mycolby.org email address. So it kind of keeps them within network. So anything that's kind of done on Colby terms stays in Colby. And on top of that, any incoming emails that the student receives, a forwarded copy of that goes to the parent's primary email account. So um, it is funny, sometimes um, we don't require students to copy their parent on every outgoing email. Some students will do that. Um, and it's not a terrible habit to have, but we do, um, when, when a, sometimes I'll get like a teacher response, like, oh, my, my kid emailed their teacher. And and in some sense, it's it's a good, you know, they're self-advocating, which is a good thing. Um, and, you know, occasionally I go, okay, well, I could have, I could have helped my child with that, but, it, but it does help me stay in the loop. And then also if I, if another student emails one of my children, I, I kind of know that that's happened and there are ways, and I can put this in the, the links if you'd like, if um, a student's interested in, in contacting another student, we do have a way for parents to contact each other, um, through the Schoology system to, to get to exchange emails and that sort of thing. So we have opened up a little bit, you know, back in the early 2010s, um, we were a little more clamped down. Um, and, you know, it is a balance because allowing students to interact with each other, it helps build community, which just in the end really does help the students get more out of their classes. So, um, so we've been trying to find that balance between like opening up all the way and just allowing those avenues for you know, students to contact each other. And as it is right now, if you sign up for a club, the parent signs off that it's okay that the students email each other because they have to do a lot of coordination, especially in those service-oriented clubs, news show, newsletter, um, spiritual life group. They're coordinating events, really, or publications for our, um, our community. And so they need to be able to email with one another um, pretty regularly. Right. That's a that's a great idea to put in the notes how to how for the parents can connect with each other via the school system. That's a question that comes up a lot. Yeah. I wanted to refer to an episode of the Colby cast that we did with one of our tech team, Lauren, episode 58, Mystery Machines, that has more discussion on other aspects of how Colby makes use of technology. So that will pair nicely with this one. Um, is there anything that has come to mind as we've been talking that you all wanted to bring up or any anything else that we didn't get to that you wanted to? I think the last thing I could just comment on is that Colby as an institute has grown a lot in the way we handle technology and educational technology. Um, in the first couple of years, I mean, I was probably the primary person who got help initiate getting accounts up and running. I had people that helped me, obviously. Um, but about two, almost two years ago now, we hired Greg Switzer and he is an amazing individual. He knows, he knows, he knows so much about technology and he's really been able to streamline things like just single sign on. So in case you didn't realize this, 
Um, you now don't, your, your password for Microsoft 365 is the same for Schoology, for your email, for Adobe Connect. So, and that was something that, you know, you had one for each prior to that, or they weren't connected, you know? So just simple things like that, you know, as soon as he came in, he's like, what? We just need to connect these pieces. I'm like, great, you know how, <laughs> wonderful. <Right>. Yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and, and he's really done a phenomenal job just with automating the enrollment process. Um, which has freed up some of us administrators who would do that to do other things. So um, that's been just really a, a wonderful thing. You you ought to consider having him on the podcast. That would be great. That sounds good. Yeah, we've noticed continual improvement in, in the technology experience. Yeah. Craig, anything else you want to bring up? No, I just, I, I think I just want to commend, you know, the staff for, you know, taking this seriously and taking the time to, you know, put this podcast together as well as, you know, come up with the policies. I think, you know, one of the things that I do in scouting, right, we have this, uh, obviously the Boy Scouts has a, a policy where, um, you know, there's, there's what we call too deep leadership where you, you cannot have one-on-one -on -one contact, right? And so we take that very seriously and that extends into the digital world as well. And so I think it's uh, just a good, good, good that you have the policies, you've thought through it and that you, know, you take this seriously. All right. Well, Craig and Megan, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today and sharing all this expertise with us. I know we have a lot of grateful listeners for, for you having done so and really appreciate it. We'll direct everyone to our show notes. We'll have a lot of good stuff there and appreciate so much again the opportunity to talk to you today. Thanks so much. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Bonnie. Appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Subscribe to the Colby Cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode. And let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or a review. And as always, feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.